when we open up our Bibles, our smartphone, our iPad, our Kindles, and we go to our scriptures, it's my prayer that as you follow along, that you would listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I may be up here preaching according to my notes and what I've prayed for, but in any given moment, you could have walked through something as late as yesterday or last night that you need to hear a word from God. And I believe God's word will speak to you if you're open and receptive to that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 is going to be our text. And my sermon title today is based on that scripture, We Are Destined for This. And when I first wrote that down and I sent it to Sue earlier in the week, I thought about that. I said, people are going to think I'm preaching on vision or I'm preaching on uh, dreaming great dreams. But it's not that at all. What are we destined for? Well, according to context from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we are destined for suffering. We are destined for affliction. We are destined for persecution. See, if all I did was stand up here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and smile at you and tell you that you are wonderful and everything is great in your life and you're sitting there going, well, it's really not. I'm struggling right now then I would not be fulfilling my duty as your pastor. So yes, on the, on the coin, on one side is that grace and peace and love and mercy and all those wonderful things. But on the other side of that same coin, we have to listen to the words of Paul and what he was going through 20 centuries ago that some of us can relate to today. 1 Thessalonians 3. The Bible says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. You ever been there? You just can't bear it any longer. You got to hear from them. You've delayed about texting them. You've delayed about calling them. You've not heard a word from them. Therefore, we could bear it no longer and we were willing to be left behind. What's he talking about? Well, Paul always traveled with companions. We know that Silas was there, but we also know a young preacher by the name of Timothy who was there as well. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. Every one of us in this room have made a decision for Jesus, just like the little video we showed you about Tess receiving Christ a couple of weeks ago and then getting baptized this past Wednesday. New believers in Christ need encouragement. For that matter, all of us who are followers of Christ need encouragement. But I think Paul was real concerned about those new believers in Thessalonica. So he sent Timothy up there to what the Bible says, establish and exhort them in the faith. So we see those words, your faith, five different times in this one chapter. Because the Thessalonian believers in the first century, like many believers in the 21st century, were passing through very severe persecution. Paul was anxious to know that if the time that he had invested in them was helping them to stand up to the test. Chapter 3, all of it, is a lesson in the importance of following up upon those who are following Christ. I'll make that connection here in just a moment. Look at verse 3. That no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. I know that when daddy had his stroke a couple of Fridays ago. And part of our conversations, it's almost like, why is this happening? 
What have I done to cause this? And sometimes we need to be reminded, whether it's reading God's word or our pastor or a Sunday school teacher, our first impulse sometimes to believe that something bad is happening to us is because we've committed sin or we've done something wrong. And that's not always the case. Sometimes it's just life. It's the afflictions that come through age. Now, of course, Paul and his companions and the churches that he would plant would be persecuted because of their faith. And their greatest persecution didn't come from the Romans. Their greatest persecution came from their fellow Jews who did not like that they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. So how does that relate to us today in 2021? How can we find some solace and some substance about a book that was written so long ago? 2 Timothy 3 helped me this week. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Now, before I read the rest of the verse, let's just pause there a moment. Do you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus? I hope so. I hope you didn't think that just because you got your fire insurance now, you can live however you want to live. And I know some people like that. I have conversations with them almost weekly and sometimes monthly who say, yes, I'm saved, but they're always putting a question mark where God's put a period. So they're walking through their life with a lot of unknowns that to those of us who are following Christ and are wanting to live a godly life is known. So all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, sometimes that persecution comes just because life happens to us. Sometimes that persecution comes because we are very adamant about what we believe. And we're living in what's called a cancel culture today. And so if you disagree with anything that a certain group of people say, they just cancel you out. I believe there's coming a day, according to God's word, where we, even here in the United States of America, will be criticized and persecuted that way as well. I know around the world, my my friends in Cuba, my friends in other places around the world who are told, you can't preach that way. You can't say those things. And they go, well, the Bible says it, so I'm going to say it. So we need to understand and recognize that if we're going to live a godly life, even in Athens, Alabama, there will be moments where you'll be persecuted. So today, like then for the Thessalonians, let us not be moved by that. Let us not be shaken by our afflictions or persecutions. Like so many of you in this room and so many at home, when someone you love has a stroke or is diagnosed with cancer, or or in a tragic automobile accident, whatever it may be, it sort of flips the script about what you thought was important before. And it sort of helps to recalibrate us to go, wow. You know what, I cared about a lot of stuff back there that didn't really matter. I, I died on hills I shouldn't have died on. But now this has given me a focus about what is most important. So where do we find ourselves today? And I I want you to know is like last week as well as this week, this sermon is probably just for me. And I'm just letting you listen in, okay? But I've already had people tell me at 8.30 and at 9.45, you've been reading my emails. You've been listening in on my conversations on my cell phone. Well, I hadn't, but God has, amen? And he knows what we need at the very moment that we need it. 
So I give you 1 Corinthians 15 for encouragement. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I read the back of the book. We win. Amen. And if you've been a student of God's word any length of time at all, and if you've read the back of the book, you know that the ultimate for us is being with Jesus and seeing him face to face. Now, until we get there, we've got to walk through this wasteland. And there's going to be trials, and there's going to be troubles, and there's going to be tribulations. So Paul says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And there have been times the last 33 plus years that I've thought, is anyone listening? When there's no movement, when everything's dry, when, when you preach your heart out or you sing your heart out and nothing happens. And then we're encouraged by the word knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Look at verse 4. For when we were with you, again this is Paul speaking to the church at Thessalonica. We kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. Now, there does to be, seem to be an appearance sometime that some folks get more than their share. You, you look around at folks and say, well, man, it appears that the wicked are prospering. But here's these good godly folks, they're having to go through this and they go through that. And it seems like they're piling on. But in reality, some of the things that we're walking through today are not public. It's not on social media. Nobody else knows about it. It's just between you and Jesus. There is affliction that happens that way. There is persecution that happens that way. So Paul later on wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. You ever seen or heard that your body is referred to as a jar of clay? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. I have no power in my physical body except the power that God gives me, and neither do you. And the sooner we come to that conclusion and realize that every good thing that I've ever done, every success that I've ever had comes through his power if I'm a follower of Jesus. Now, there's a whole lot of lost people out there doing a lot of temporary things. But see, you and I who are in Christ don't do temporary things. We do things that count for eternity. We're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Meaning, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. When we repent of our sins and believe in the gospel, he comes into us. So we're carrying about in our body the death of Jesus so that his life may be made manifest in our bodies. Meaning, you and I, who are in Christ, we live forever with him. That's the victory that he talked about in 1 Corinthians 15. But in 1 Corinthians 4, he goes on to say that maybe this is your condition this morning. To the present hour, we're hungered and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. We labor, we, we work with our own hands, and when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure when slandered, we entreat, and we have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Paul is painting a very bleak picture. But then he says, 
I'm not writing these things to you to make you ashamed. I'm not ashamed to be from Athens, Alabama. I'm not ashamed to be a graduate of West Limestone High School. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. He says, we're in this together. We create community called the local church and we're able to overcome because we do it together. So what is Paul's response to all the struggles that they're having at Thessalonica, that they were having at Corinth, that they had at Ephesus and Galatia? 2 Corinthians 4, 16. I don't know who this is for today. It was for me this past week. So we do not lose heart. Now I could have preached the whole sermon on that this morning. For we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Now, just understand and know, I like to exercise. I enjoy working out. It releases endorphins in my brain, and I'm a whole lot nicer person to be around, okay? But every day, even though I'm working out and watching what I eat and do all that kind of stuff, my outer self is wasting away. But our inner self, which is the most important, mind you, is being renewed day by day. Have you lost heart? There have been occasions over our ministry that I'd have someone come up to me after a service and go, you have no idea. And I'll go, okay, I, I don't, so tell me. And they'd say, today was it. I was given church one last shot. So I was going to come today write the epitaph of me ever being in another church and I was going to ride off into the sunset and I'm done. But then you preached to me. You said something to me. And I went, wow. I said, but let me remind you, it wasn't me. It was the Holy Spirit that knew what you were going through and knew that you needed a word. So we do not lose heart today. Don't lose heart today. And, and I know that you're saying, but... I just need something. Well, I'm about to give you something from God's word that prayerfully is going to help you. Look at verse 5. He says, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. Paul was really concerned about the church at Thessalonica for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you. Meaning, I thought the enemy may have come against you and you would have turned your back on the seed that I'd planted. And our labor would have been in vain. Because I believe that all of us as pastors or leaders or Sunday school teachers, whatever we may be, when we see people doing well under our tutelage or under our preaching or under our leadership, it helps us. But when we see people struggling, when people are, are not doing well, and I, and, I, and I think that's what Paul had in mind when he wrote this. And then he says in verse 6, but now that Timothy has come to us from you. Now remember, from Athens and Corinth, he had sent Timothy north. He had gone to Thessalonica. He had checked up on them. Everything was good. And he's coming back and he's reporting to them now. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and your love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. I, I think it matters when I see my brothers and sisters who are struggling but they're not quitting. They're staying the course, even in the midst of struggle, even in the midst of difficulty. Because it's easy to serve Jesus when everybody's healthy. It's easy to serve Jesus when all the bills are paid. 
It's easy to serve Jesus when you're on easy street, but but what is your response when it's almost as if everything has turned against you and the world is piling on? For this reason, brothers, in all of our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. I had some late additions to my sermon notes as I continued to read and study a little bit. I think it was Tony Evans who said that at times we have to borrow from someone else's faith. Because maybe I'm tired and maybe I'm worn out and uh, I've just exhausted all of my emotional fuel and there's really nothing else. And then I see somebody else who maybe is going through something similar and they appear, at least on the outside, they're staying the course. And I go, I need a little bit of that. I need a little bit of that encouragement. And then if that person happens to stop and say, hey, how can I pray for you? Oh, that's just fuel in the tank. That says, you know what? I'm not even going to make it another day. I might make it another day or two and maybe even a week or two. Why? Because I'm borrowing someone else's faith. Tony Evans does call it faith on loan. Because every one of us in this room have what I call capacity. Today, technology-wise, maybe bandwidth. And I think some of it's based on our own temperaments and personalities, how God has hardwired us, that some folks can just keep on going and keep on going no matter what's going, and then others are tripped up easily. And they stumble quickly. But yet, wherever we are in Christ, there's people that God is strategically placing around you right now. For Paul, it was Timothy and Silas, but also the church at Thessalonica. How they were living their life so encouraged him. He was encouraged by their faithfulness. And I have to be quite honest with you this morning. I am encouraged as your pastor by many of you and your faithfulness. Because many would have already sat down and said, I'm taking my toys and going home. I'm done. But you haven't. That encourages others. Now they may never tell you. They may be too ashamed or too shy or introverted. But just know that we don't live in and to ourselves. We live for Christ and for others. It's what Paul did. It's what Timothy did. It's what the Thessalonians did. And it's what we should do as well. And you've heard me say this before. Notice this statement. We are all holding on to someone holding on. Because maybe my bandwidth allows me to grab a hold of the garment of Jesus and I'm not letting go. I've got a death grip on his robe. And then you grab a hold to me. And then somebody's grabbing a hold to you. And before long, we got this long chain going. And all it is is somebody was willing to hold on to Jesus while you hold on to them. See, that's what happens when affliction comes, when persecution comes, when oppression comes. We're all holding on to someone who is holding on. He goes on in verse 8 to explain this. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Because how you stand will determine how we live. A few years ago, some professional athletes were told, listen, we need you to straighten up your act because you're a role model to our children. Their response was, I don't want to be a role model. I want to get out and have fun and party and do what I want to do. So I don't care if your kid's buying my tennis shoes or not. I'm going to do what I want to do. So let's bring it down to us. We're not professional athletes here, but we're followers of Jesus. So if we say that we're following Jesus, 
we need to live like we're following Jesus because talk is cheap. So every one of us are a role model to one or more people. If you're in leadership positions, that sphere of influence begins to broaden. So we need to understand that we have to increase our bandwidth. We must increase our capacity of what we can handle when the afflictions come, when the persecution comes, when the oppression comes. But Paul, he had to know how are those believers in Thessalonica doing? And Timothy came back and gave him reassurance. And that moved Paul's heart. Look at verse 9. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? Thanksgiving. We're just a few days away from November. And all of us will start thinking, oh, I need to be thankful it's November. Well, why can't you be thankful in April? Why can't you be thankful in February? Let's be thankful all the time as a follower of Jesus to have a grateful heart, to have a, have a thankful heart, even when there's not a whole lot to be grateful and thankful about. Again, I reiterate the point. It's easy to come in here and, oh, worship Jesus. Oh, praise the Lord. It's easy to do that when all your bills are paid and you're healthy. But are you willing to still do that when... Last week's doctor's appointment didn't go real well. Or you get that emergency phone call that turns your life upside down. Are you still praising him? Are you still thankful? Are you still grateful? And I could have pulled a hundred plus Psalms, but let me give you one. Psalm 75 and one. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. That was for me this past week. Thinking about how many prayers were answered in our family after daddy's stroke. The number of people that stepped up and said, we're here to help. What can we do? How can we make this happen? How can we make that happen? And I thought about that. Why did I ever doubt? I look over the course of my 55 plus years on this earth and the number of times that God showed up and showed out time after time after time. Now, mind you, I didn't always get what I wanted. But I was a recipient of God's will and plan for my life. And then I find myself presently somewhat worrying and anxious about my dad when the Lord says, just trust me. I've got this. You just got to trust me. And see, sometimes we get into these false senses of security and we think we're always talking about everybody else. But then when it happens to you and you look in the mirror and it's you. And it's your family. You find out if all those Sunday school lessons you've been teaching to everybody else is real or not. You find out if all these sermons you've been preaching for 30 plus years is real or not. And what we do is we recount your wondrous deeds. He's been faithful in the past. He'll be faithful in the present. He'll be faithful in the future. Look at verse 11. Verse 10. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. And to God be the glory. He eventually got to go back to Thessalonica, Acts chapter 20. But it took a while. And see, what you and I have to remember, and you've heard me say this before. Sometimes it's not what it is that God's going to give us. It's the timing that he's going to give it to us. 
See, we want it yesterday. I want answers yesterday. I, you know, I, I've got these questions on my heart. So, Lord, I need you to answer them. And sometimes the Lord says, you can't handle it right now. You can't handle the truth, as Jack Nicholson said. But yet, we want it when we want it. But sometimes, later on, God says, now you can handle the truth. And now this can set you free. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way. I really believe, like Paul, in how he addressed Thessalonica and then would write his other letters to the other churches throughout Asia Minor. Some of us in this room are praying about something. We're praying about a direction. We're praying about what's next. Not just about our persecution, affliction, or oppression, but we're praying about maybe some good things that are on our horizons but we just don't know when to make the move or how to make the move. Psalm 37. The steps of a man are established by the Lord and when he delights in his way. And though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong for the Lord upholds his hand. When I began to speak to the search committee about leaving Louisville, Kentucky and coming home. Joe and I really prayed, Lord, is this your timing? Lord, is this your will? Father, is this what you want for our lives? And probably through the processes, and several other churches had inquired about, hey, would you send a resume, this, that, or the other? There were times that I felt like I, I stumbled. Uh, I let my flesh get involved. And I really wanted something, but it was not what God wanted for us. But it says that if we're really seeking the Lord, you shall not be cast headlong because the Lord will pick you up. The Lord will uphold your hand. And oh, how many times I've been picked up. He dusted me off. Everything's going to be all right. Let's keep moving. And maybe that's where you are today. You've had a few stumbles. You've had a few trips. You've had, because it's football season, some fumbles, flops, and failures. If that is the case, he's not through with you yet. In fact, all of those things can be used as ammunition and fuel for what it is he wants you to do next, if you're willing to trust him. Now, the main verse that Joe and I landed our plane on before coming back home was Proverbs 16 and 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And oh, how many of us have tried to pray with an unbiased attitude but we simply were praying, telling God what we wanted when we wanted it. And then we pouted when we didn't get it. Anybody else? Or is that my only one? Okay, a few more. The rest of y'all, y'all need to pray, all right? But, but I, I want to encourage you that if you're willing to pray according to God's will, the scripture says he will establish your steps. You may not get what you wanted when you wanted it, but he will establish your steps, which is what I believe what brought us home. What brought us to this moment of where we are. Let me land the plane. Verse 12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. And for all as we do for you. Don't you love that scripture that love will cover the multitude of sins? It's a beautiful passage. But Paul was very, very concerned that the Lord would increase the Thessalonians and they would love one another. Now, you've got to understand, this is the first century. 
There were people who were pro-Roman and those who were anti-Roman. There were those who had Jewish friends and those who had uh, uh, Gentile friends. They're, they're, they're sort of like today, uh, a melting pot of relationships. And some people, they thought they were right. And these other people thought they were right and back and forth. But through it all, he said, you are to love one another. I can be passionately in disagreement with you and still love you. You should, as a fellow follower of Jesus, if you have a passion about something you disagree with me, you still should be able to love me because of what Jesus did for us together. First John really messes me up, and I hope it messes you up this morning as well. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. I got a word for you today. I'm not sending Zeke to the cross for any of y'all. I'm not sending Danny to the cross for any of you all. But Jesus willingly went to the cross because the father said, this is the plan and this is your purpose that you have come to seek and to save those who are lost. And part of that seeking and saving is going to the cross and dying for people who are unworthy and unthankful. But I want you to do it. And Christ willingly laid down his life. Oh yeah, the Romans and the Jews were part of it. But Jesus knew it was the hand and the plan of God for him to go to the cross. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a $3 theological word that means that God was satisfied with the death of Christ on the cross. It appeased him, if you will. I am fully satisfied with what Jesus Christ did on the cross so that all of humanity who will repent of their sins can be saved. That's us today. And then he closes out 1 John, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Even when we are unlovable. I'm not going to get you to raise your hand. Are you ever unlovable? Y'all don't be poking your husbands in the ribs, okay? It's all good. Yeah, all of us can be unlovable, but I think here we're talking about a dynamic that's far beyond the scope of husband and wives, parents and kids, sibling rivalry. I think this says that we ought to love one another the way that Christ loved us. So let me land the plane, verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness, before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. Now hear me out. This is so powerful. The Thessalonians believed that Jesus was going to come back in their generation. Jesus had told those who were followers in Acts chapter 1 that I'm going to have to leave you. But I'm coming back one day. People wrongly assumed, well, that's going to be my generation. And we've been wrongly assuming for 20 generations. Jesus is coming back. I'm not going to have to die. Jesus is coming back in my generation. <laughs> Jesus told us in the Mount Olivet Discourse, some of the things that would be happening on the world stage right before his return. 
There's been generations past who tried to take that scripture and make it work for them, just like we've tried to make it work for us. However, I believe that some of our technological advances and some of the things that we are now doing lends credence to the belief that Christ is much closer to returning today than he was then. Now, part of that's just common sense, but prophetically, it's real. So what we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks, both Kenan and I are going to lead us up to that moment where Christ comes back in the clouds. Now, Christ didn't come back in the clouds for the Thessalonians in the first century. We don't even know for sure if Christ is going to come back in the 21st century. But he does say, one day I am coming back. And we best be ready. Now, here's my final question. If Jesus came back, would you have been left behind? If it had happened that quickly, would you have been left behind? Or would you have been snatched away according to 1 Thessalonians 4? If you can't really answer that question, you're in the right place at the right time right now.